Good morning and welcome to the service. For message this morning, I'd like to uh, look at the first several verses here in the book of Mark. Recently, I've been reading and studying quite a bit in, in Mark here, and we'll probably be taking several messages from the book of Mark as we go through the different, different, uh, the different events in Jesus' ministry here on this earth. But for this morning, we'd like to look a little bit at, at uh, a little bit of an outline of the book of Mark and the writer and some events, some events prior to maybe the, the penning of these words. And then also the first uh, several verses here about John the Baptist. So the first verse, I'd just like to use the first phrase there in, the, in verse 1 for the title this morning. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we think about the things that Jesus did throughout the book of Mark here, things he did while he was on this earth, the way that he came, I believe, I believe a main theme running through Mark, running through this gospel, and, and a lot of the other gospels as well, the, a lot of the, the stories are, uh, are told in, in more than just the book of Mark. But it's on, on Jesus being a servant, Jesus being, I believe, a, a perfect servant. Mark chapter 10, verse 44 and 45 says, And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. As we think about Jesus, Jesus was, was God incarnate. He was the Messiah. And yet, as we look at the way that he entered, we would say, history, I believe God always was, God's Son always was, and yet... There is a point in time where we can say that he, in our finite minds, that he entered into history. As we, as we consider his birth and his time here on this earth, not very glamorous, not very, not very, uh, I, I don't believe Jesus lived his life here with, with very much physically. And then we compare that with uh, Mel's message last Sunday about the about from revelation and and the way that Jesus will return the way that Jesus rules now and when Jesus returns again with with all his glory and power and might sometimes it's a little hard to wrap our minds around realizing that this is the same person this is the same this is the same god this is this is the same Jesus the same king and yet i believe it's Seeing Jesus as that humble servant, seeing Jesus as that perfect servant, and then seeing him in, in Revelation and, and other places with you know, the, the amount of power and, and might and glory that he has helps me realize even more the sacrifice that it was for him to come to this earth. Not to be ministered to, but to minister. 
and to give his life a ransom for many. And I believe that's why that verse starts out, it's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As we look at the book of Mark, the gospel here, the Mark, Mark presents Jesus, Mark presents his, his, the, his writings here. It's just simply a rapid succession of, of Jesus, Jesus in action. There's not many parables, only four, I believe. Mostly, mostly miracles and things that Jesus did, about 18 or 19 different miracles. I believe Jesus was, is revealed here by what he, what he did, by what he is doing. Not so much of what he said, but just simply his deeds. And Mark, Mark spells them out here in, in a pretty rapid succession. So who, who is Mark? It's believed that, that Mark, or John Mark, is the one that wrote this. There's not, not, just a lot of, not just a lot of details about his life, but he does, there are several times when he is mentioned throughout the New Testament. His mother Mary is, is believed to have been quite wealthy, so he came from probably a fairly wealthy family. A lot of, this, a lot of, these, a lot of these ideas or, or things about Mark is, is probably more from history than from actually being spelled out in the Bible, so I'm not saying that's exactly how it is, but I found it interesting, some of these observations. But in Acts chapter 12, when they were having a prayer meeting in, in a house, it was in, in Mark's house, Mark's mother Mary had provided the space for their prayer meeting. So it's believed that they had a, a fairly large house, big enough for a group of people. And possibly also the, the house with the upper room where Jesus would have spent the last, the last supper with his disciples. And history would also have it that Mark was the one who the disciples met when they asked to show them an upper room. So there again, not necessarily spelled out in the Bible, but just some interesting little things from history. And we read about, about uh, Paul and Barnabas, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but Barnabas was, I believe, a cousin to, to Mark or John Mark. In Acts chapter 13, we have Mark that traveled with, with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And I believe we're probably familiar with the story there. He was the one that deserted them, which really upset Paul. And then in Acts chapter 15, just read a few verses there. Acts chapter 15, when Paul was preparing to go on his second missionary journey, he talked to, to Barnabas about it, and Barnabas thought they should take John Mark along again. Acts chapter 15, verse 36, it says, And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord, and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And that tells us that the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. 
And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. So a little bit of a, a negative, maybe, or a little sad account there of this contention between these, these two men. But I'm, I'm really blessed by, by the way they resolved that contention. It tells us in, in Colossians and also in Philemon, Paul, in referring to Mark, he calls him a fellow laborer and a comfort to me. So I believe there was reconciliation there. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, Paul says, Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. I believe Mark also accompanied Peter. 1 Peter 5, verse 13, he was, he was with Peter. And according to history, it would say that he was, he was an interpreter for Peter. I believe Mark died in Egypt around 64 or 65 AD. And his, his cause of death was he was killed there. And historians say that he was killed by having a rope tied around his neck and being drugged through the city with a, with a chariot. Terrible, terrible cause of death. As we think of, as we think of those things, and we think of Mark, and we think of the things he wrote down here about Jesus, I believe he was probably really impressed by the life of Jesus, which caused him to, to be willing to die, to be willing to go on these missionary journeys. I think we can see a, a growth in Mark here. For some reason, he left them on that first missionary journey. But he went with Barnabas, and later Paul also realized that he was, he was somebody that was profitable for, to the ministry. So looking now a little bit at, at the theme and the outline here in, in Mark. I believe Mark was written to probably more the, the Gentile people, the Gentile Christians, possibly in Rome. There are several places in Mark where there's some Jewish, Jewish customs explained. There's several, there's several expressions that are translated translated into the Greek in, in uh, chapter 3, verse 17. Chapter 3, verse 17, it says, And James, the son of Zebedee, and, and John, the brother of James, and he surnamed them Bonagis, which is the sons of thunder. So they give a little, they give a little uh, translation there, which, which causes historians to believe that... Uh, that it was probably written to the Roman Christians. And there's, there's a few others as well. Uh, chapter 5, verse 41 has another little translation. It says, And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And there's one more in chapter 7, verse 11. 
But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. So just a few, uh, a few hints there that this was probably written to the Christians in Rome. There's also very few Old Testament quotations in, in Mark. He, used, he referred to the Old Testament very little. Obviously here at the, in chapter 1 it refers to some, some prophecies uh, about John the Baptist. But I believe the main focus, as I mentioned, is on, is on Jesus as being the perfect servant. Jesus the master servant. And Mark, as I mentioned, also emphasized Jesus' deeds more than, more than his words. Just read the verse in Mark 10, verse 45 again. It says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So just a brief outline yet before we get into the first eight verses here. In chapter 1, Verse about 2 through 13, it's about the, the preparation for Jesus' ministry. It's the, the account of John the Baptist. And then verse 14 through chapter 9, it's Jesus' ministry in, in Galilee. And chapter 10 is Jesus' journey into Jerusalem. And then 11 through 13 is Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem. Chapter 14 and 15 is on his suffering and death. And the first part of chapter 16 is Jesus' resurrection, and the latter part is the Great Commission and Jesus' work in heaven. So as I said, we'll probably be looking at some more of these things here in the future, but a few other interesting things about, about the, the Gospel of Mark here. It's believed to be the first gospel that was written, and all but 31, all but 31 of the verses in Mark are quoted in the other gospels. Now, I didn't go through and actually check this all out, but that's what the, the Bible scholars would say, that all but, all but 31 of the verses are quoted in other gospels. And it's obviously the, the shortest gospel with only 661 verses. I mentioned before that it's, it was Jesus, or Mark portrays Jesus here in, in rapid succession, like the story moves very quickly. He uses the word straightway or immediately, or words that are translated into that about 40 times. And we see those, we see those beginning in right after Jesus was baptized. In verse 10, it says, And straightway coming up out of the water. And then right after that, in verse 12, it says, And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. So it gives us this, kind of this sense of, of Jesus just, he's, he comes to this earth, he begins his ministry, and things just, he's just on the move all the time, which I believe, I believe he was. I believe Jesus was, was very busy. So Mark chapter 1 Verses 1 through 8. This is on the preaching of, of John the Baptist. 
As I, as I studied these verses and looked into this, just, just the thing of studying the work of, of the person, the, the, the person that was sent to prepare the way for Jesus, I believe helps me to better understand Jesus' ministry. I believe John came as a fulfillment of prophecy. In verse 2, I believe he was fulfilling the prophecy in, in Malachi. But just, read, just turn there and read those few verses in Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. Verse 1, it says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And then also in chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, whether that's referring to Jesus' first coming or second coming, or maybe both, I believe it could probably be referring to both. Because John the Baptist was referred to as, as Elijah several times. So he was sent to prepare the way. He was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. And in verse 3, he's referring now to the pro prophecy of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 40, I think I'll just read the first about eight verses here in Isaiah 40. It says, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice said, Cry, and he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, all godliness, and all the godliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. This, this picture here in, in verse, verse 3 and 4, I just get a picture of, of somebody preparing for a king, somebody preparing for somebody of, of high esteem that's coming. It says, you make straight in the desert a highway for God. It says the valleys will be exalted, the mountains and the hills shall be made low, and the crooked straight, and the rough places plain. Because I just picture some mountains and valleys through the desert, and everything just becomes flat, just becomes like this paved highway for, for Jesus to to enter and to begin his ministry. John was preparing that way for Jesus. So we think about the, maybe some kings or presidents today and the way that, the way that things are prepared for them when they enter a certain country or when they go visiting to another country or when they kind of go outside of their normal places. 
There's a lot of preparation put into, put into that. Maybe not things like paving the roads and stuff, but probably more security things. But either way, I believe that gives us a picture of the preparation that was put into Jesus coming to this earth. It tells us that John did baptize in the wilderness, Mark chapter 1, verse 4. And he preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. In Matthew 3, it tells us in verse 1, it tells us that he preached in the wilderness of Judea. It gives us a little bit more detail there on, on John's actual message. It tells us in verse 2 in Matthew 3, that John said, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he goes on and he, he refers again to the prophecies there in Isaiah. I just want to read a few of the things in, in Matthew 3 here that, that John told the people that came out to hear him. It says in verse 6, sorry, verse 5, Then went out unto him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan doesn't give us a number of people, but it seems like the whole area just went out into the wilderness to listen to this, we'd probably say, rather strange man. It says, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Another portion of, of John's message here, it says, bring forth therefore fruit, Meet for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For, say, for I say unto you, That God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And as I thought about this phrase and this, this message that John the Baptist was preaching, you know, this was going completely against what some of these spiritual leaders thought, these religious leaders thought they were. They really thought they were somebody because they could trace their, their lineage back to Abraham. John the Baptist tells them here that that doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's God. If, if God wants more children from Abraham, he can use these stones and, and, and make children from Abraham. But he says, repent and bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. He goes on, he says, and this is where he, he brings Jesus into the picture. He says, I indeed baptize you with the water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he shall burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. It's a strong message, quite a different, different message than a lot of the people had heard for, for many years. So this, this baptism of repentance for the remission of sin, the, the Jews, according to history, would at times baptize Gentile converts into, into Judaism. So if you wanted, they would, they would use a, a mode of baptism for that. But for a Jew to, a Jew to, for a Jew to be baptized as a as a sign of repentance was, was quite radical in their culture. Something that if you were a Jew, you were, 
you were right, you were okay. But here comes this man, and he's, he's, he's preaching, he's asking people to repent, he's asking people to, to turn from their, their sin, even though they were God's chosen people. I believe this baptism of repentance is, is a change of mind and a change of direction. As we, we see in his, in his message there, he asked them to bring fruit worthy of repentance. I believe the baptism of repentance is also prompted by a godly sorrow. As we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, the church there was, was struggling with... Uh, Paul, had, Paul had showed them or talked to them about a, an area where they were failing... And it, he tells us there in, in chapter 7, verse 10 of 2 Corinthians, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. And then we see in the verses following there in, in 2 Corinthians, the, the joy that Paul has in the, the true repentance of the church there. And it was followed by a a zealous, zealous desire to do what was right. In Luke chapter 3, it's also the account of John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness. It gives us some more detail about the people that came to him and, and, and more, some more little details about his message. Luke chapter 3, verse 10 says, and the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? This was again after he talked about them saying that, you know, Abraham is our father. But he says in verse 9, and now also the axe is laid unto the root of the tree, and every tree therefore which bringeth not fruit, which bringeth not forth good fruit, is hewn down and cast into the fire. And then the people ask him, what shall we do? And he goes down through and he, he, he lists, he calls out some people and he, he tells them exactly what they need to do. Verse 12, sorry, verse 11. He answered and said unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart him to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. So he's just telling them to share. To do good to, to everybody. In verse 12, then came also the publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? The publicans again were the, the tax collectors. And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed unto you. So he just told them, Do what, do what is appointed to you. Don't take more than, than what is expected. And the soldiers came in verse 14 and likewise demanded of him saying, And what shall we do? And he said to them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. Again, I'm just, just impressed by John's practical preaching here and his, his ways of making this practical for the people. This was, this was a... This Jesus that was coming was for everybody. This Jesus that was coming wanted everybody to... To be, to be drawn to him and yet 
John didn't tell them that they must all quit what they're doing, quit their, quit their jobs and all become Jews and all become just you know, these close following Jesus like, like the 12 disciples did, but he gave them practical ways to live out Jesus' teachings in their, in their lives. John's message was a message of repentance for the remission of sins. The remission of sin, I believe, is just repent so that your sins will be forgiven. Through this Jesus that's coming, through this one that is coming, through his death, your sins will be forgiven. In Acts 22, verse 16, it says, And now... Why tarriest thou, arise, and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So I'm going to turn to Acts chapter 2 and read a few verses there as well. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. This was Peter preaching here again on on baptism it says then Peter said unto them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and this this now would be after after Jesus death and resurrection It says for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off even as many as the Lord our God shall call and with many other words did he testify and exhort saying save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So again, pointing to this repentance, this being baptized for the remission of sins through Jesus Christ. John in his John the Baptist in his in his preaching in his preaching in the wilderness as I mentioned he called for a repentance he called for a baptism for the remission of sins because Jesus was coming Jesus is coming We might look at at John the Baptist and we'd say wow he was he was quite a successful successful evangelist he had the entire area coming out to listen to him it gives us a little bit of description about or into his into his lifestyle in in mark chapter 1 verse 6 it says he was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of skin about his loins and he did eat locusts and wild honey and it tells us in in luke In Luke chapter 1, verse 17, it says that he came in the spirit and then in the power of Elijah. So we think about Elijah's ministry and, and the things that, that he did, the, the, the power that he had. So now we have John the Baptist coming with that same, that same spirit, that same power. And we have him dressed in, in camel's hair. We have him eating locusts or grasshoppers. gives us a picture of maybe a little bit of a strange strange man a little bit of a strange person we we see this from 
we can look back and say, you know, he was, he was right on. He was, he was that prophet for God. And I believe those who received John's message were prepared to receive Jesus. But I had to ask myself the question, would I, would I have received John's message? Would have I, would have I been okay with, with the things that this man was teaching? Would it have drawn me to Jesus? This man who I would have needed to go out into the wilderness to hear, and he was a little, you might say a little eccentric, a little, uh, just a little strange. So we think of his dress and his diet. And I believe there was a lot of people that probably thought that. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 18, this is when this is Jesus speaking when uh, he was being accused for eating and drinking too much. He tells the people there, he said, John came neither eating nor drinking, and you say he hath a devil. So it, I believe there was people that thought he was, he, maybe, he, he probably had a demon, the way he dressed and the things he ate. So it's obvious that not everybody accepted his teaching. But... I'd like for us to think about about our hearts. What have I received John's message? And then another reason I believe that probably some people didn't accept him. I mean, here were their religious leaders and he calls them he calls them a generation of vipers. Just kind of we might say destroying what they what they thought was right or destroying their their normal ways of their normal ways of religion, their normal ways of doing things. So how often do how often do we make excuses? How often do I make excuses for maybe not changing when I hear a convicting message or when I'm reading the Bible and, and God prompts me to do something? How often do I make excuses or how often do I not accept that? I found the verse in, in Matthew 12, verse 42. Quite interesting. I had never really, I guess, thought about this verse before. But it's talking about, it's in the context of when the religious leaders asked Jesus for a miracle. He tells them, well, he refers to the men of Nineveh in verse 41. He says, The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas, or Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. And in verse 42, the queen of Sheba, sorry, the queen of the south, which was the queen of Sheba, shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for she came from the uttermost part of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. How often do we think that because of our heritage or because of who we are, that we're okay or that we have a better chance? I believe as we look at, at what John taught about Jesus, and then as we look through Throughout the New Testament and, and Jesus' teachings, it, must, it takes repentance, it takes a baptism for everybody. 
It doesn't matter who we are. We must all come to the point where we say, or where we surrender ourselves to God. And I'm, I'm grateful this morning to be, to be part of a church that, that endeavors to literally follow the teachings of the Bible. You know, without, without being, and, and I realize that throughout the, throughout the church then, throughout the church age, baptism also brings us into membership with the church. And I believe that's a good thing because I believe, I know for myself, if I want to stay true, it takes a body of believers to point things out in my life to help me to, to stay faithful to God. And then John reminds us of the need to bear fruit. And that bearing fruit is in, in keeping with true repentance. Jesus said in Luke 6, verse 46, or he asked the question, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? So my challenge that I want to leave this morning is, if we're going to say Lord, Lord, let's do the things that he says. Let's do the things that he asks. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus' first coming. Jesus is coming again. And I just... I. I'm really looking forward to messages from Revelation, Mel. I believe it gives us a lot of details about when Jesus comes again, when Jesus comes the second time. And now is the time for us to prepare for that. Shall we kneel for prayer? Our Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you this morning for your greatness. We thank you for, for sending Jesus as a servant to this earth. I just thank you for the examples in the scripture and as we study in Mark, the examples that Jesus left us of, as being that perfect servant. God, help us to, to learn, help us to grow, help us to prepare for your second coming, to be prepared, and to spread your word. Help us to remain faithful, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.